to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. I want to share a bit on uh, something I've been sharing for a, for a couple of weeks. You know how uh, Rochelle and I and our family ended up here in Joburg? Pastor Heinrich was, uh, and his family um, had to move down, and they'd been planning, I think, for quite some time to move down to the Cape to be closer to their family and uh, just to have more of a support structure there. And um, I think everything was planned, you know, to the detail. And uh, another couple was actually coming up here to, to um, take the reins pastorally and just uh, lead the congregation. And, you know, I think it was just a couple of weeks before they were supposed to come up, uh, you know, just things just changed um, quite uh, suddenly. I think it might have been two weeks. I can't remember, Jan George. Can you remember how long? But it wasn't very long. About a month. And um, all of a sudden, um, you know, that, that threw a, a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons. And uh, Rochelle and I, we had no uh, plans or, you know, prospects coming to, to Joburg. And, um, you know, the leadership obviously prayed about it and, and spoke about it. And uh, they felt that, that, you know, since I think since we also didn't at that stage have a congregation, and we were quite a convenient choice, but I think they also wanted to send someone with <laughs> You know, I was full-time at Bible school and, and Shofar Institute and so on. Um, but but I, I also wanted to send someone with some experience. And, and fortunately, we had some, some years of experience pastorally. Uh, they didn't just want to send someone who was completely new and, you know, had never led a congregation. So, um, you know, they, they, they sort of spoke about it and they said, well, Henny and, and Rushal are there. You know, they have experience. They don't currently have a congregation of their own. You know, why don't we send them, you know? And, and they came to... To, uh, Heinrich first came to speak to me and then to Rochelle and I and, and it was obviously you know a bit of a surprise and a shock to us because I mean we didn't expect it, it was sort of coming you know sort of from the side and um, I, I remember you know Heinrich speaking to us and you know I was I was quite open to it but it, it was it was a bit unexpected so I was like sure you know this is like this is big <laughs> you know and um you know, obviously, the leadership, Fred and, and Heinrich and the guys, have spoken about it, and they'd made the decision that they really think we should go. And uh, I remember the next morning, very early, it was probably about 4 o'clock or maybe even 3 o'clock, God woke me up, and I just, I just couldn't sleep. So I went to the kitchen, sat down, prayed, and God took me to the book of Haggai. And um, Haggai is just, just two chapters in the Old Testament. I just want to read you two or three verses from it. And um, he just gave me a couple of verses, you know, um, from Haggai. Haggai 2 verse... Let me just find it, yeah. Where am I? Chapter 1, chapter 2. Here we go. Verse 4 and 5. He says, um, you know, Be strong, all you people of the land declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when, I, when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Uh, and, and I felt God saying to me, uh, like he was saying to the Israelites in that time, you know, be strong, go and continue the work that uh, you know, I've been doing there, 
and, and that, that um, Heinrich and the congregation had, had already started, solid foundation had been laid, Con- go and continue the work there, um, and I'm with you, do not fear. And then at the end in verse 19 it says, um, is there yet any seed left? Sorry, this is verse 19. Let me just see if I've got the right verse here. Oh, yeah. Is there still any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the... And the um, from this day onwards, I will bless you. And, and that was specifically that, that, that portion. From this day onwards, I will bless you. Just, and, and, you know, God was saying to me, you know, just like I was saying these things to, to Israel as they were building the temple, so I'm saying it to you, you know, go. And, you know, here's the point I'm trying to make. The decision... For Rochelle and I to come to Johannesburg was made by Fred and Heinrich and the guys. But it was God who sent us. It was God who sent us. And you know how easy it made it for me coming to Joburg, even though I'd never lived in Joburg or anywhere near. I mean, I was, you know, between Somerset West and Stellenbosch and, you know, I was raised in Bloemfontein, you know. You know, Franz Huck, Stellenbosch, Somerset West, Bloemfontein. All of those places are a far cry from Joburg. <laughs> you know, Joburg is this big city, this intimidating city, you know. And, um, but even, even though all of those challenges were there, even though it was all new, all, all challenging, the, the transition wasn't very difficult for me because I knew God was sending me here. God was sending us here. And if God is sending me, that's enough for me. Then, if, no, no matter what the challenges are, no matter how new it is, how um, unfamiliar it is, no matter how much uncertainty there is, it's going to be okay because God's sending me. And where God guides, He provides. Where He leads, He feeds. Amen? And, um, you know, it didn't matter that, that we were not the first choice. It didn't matter that there was someone else who was the first choice, you know, to come here. You know, ultimately, we didn't know it, but we were God's first choice. We didn't know that, but we were, you know. And God obviously had his reasons why he made things work out in that specific way. Um, maybe, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I tend to be sort of a, you know, a, a, you know I, I think too much. I overthink things, you know. So I might have gotten analysis paralysis, you know, if I had to, too much time to think about it. So God, God knows what he's doing. And, you know, I'm convinced that, that God sent us here. And that God does the same for all of us. You know, so often we think that we, 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 we're in circum, certain circumstances and we think that we're victims of our circumstances. We think that we're victims of decisions other people make for us. And I think if we read the Bible clearly, we discover that no, we're not. Yes, other people do make decisions that affect us. Yes, circumstances outside of our control often do have a major influence in our lives. But ultimately, God sends us. God sends us into situations. And, and the, the challenge I've, I've felt God has been holding up um, before us is, and, and before me is, you know, do, do, do I come to Joburg as someone who has sent by God to come to Joburg, to come and represent him? And I think that's a challenge for many of us. 
I don't know how you ended up in Joburg. Your story might be somewhat different from mine. Maybe you actually did decide to come here. But no matter how you came here to Joburg, are you living here as though God sent you to be here? Or is Joburg just a stepping stone to something else? I just want to make enough money so I can go back to the coast. Or I just want to get enough work experience to get another job. And, 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 and it's so easy if we have the wrong attitude to be here in Joburg but not to really be here. And to miss why God has called us to be here. The very reason why God sent us here, we, we're in danger of missing it. If we don't come with the right attitude, if we don't come with the realization that we are sent. We have been sent here. Um, not only that, I mean, you know, this service. Do you think it's a coincidence that you're, that you're attending this service this morning, hearing this sermon? <laughs> you think it's a coincidence? <laughs> There, there are, I think God really wants us to, to get a mind shift and a heart shift where we, we live everywhere as though God sent us there. We live on purpose. We, we live as though life is not just something that randomly happens to us, but which God sends us into. We are not just victims of life. We are ambassadors sent to go and live for God wherever we are. And it's with that power that God wants us to live. I mean, the, the, the job you're in now, I mean, whether you're happy in that job or not, can you live doing that job as though God sent you there? I mean, many of the assumptions that, that we make are exposed through, this, through just thinking through this issue. Because we, many Christians firstly assume that God will only send me where I already want to go. And some of you who have been <laughs> at the receiving end of God's call <laughs> will know that God often does not work there. In fact, God often sends you where you don't want to go. I remember um, Dr. Cornei Becker speaking. He said he spoke to a lady uh, who wanted to become a missionary. And she said to him, you know, I, I feel God is calling me into missions and I'm willing to go anywhere for God except China. Guess where she is today? <laughs> I'm not even going to give you three guesses. I'm only going to give you one guess. She's in China. Okay? <laughs> if, if Jesus only ever sends you where you already want to go, you're probably following yourself, not Jesus. Right? God, that, that assumption that God will only send me where I want to go and only into places which are comfortable for me and which seem beneficial to me, that's a wrong assumption. God doesn't work that way. Firstly, because God's more concerned with our character than our comfort, but he's also more concerned with other people's salvation than our comfort. Another assumption that is exposed by thinking through this issue is that um, actually, you know, the world is a closed system. 
you know, us human beings, we, it's cause and effect. We make decisions. Other people make decisions. Uh, those are the causes. And it has certain effects on our lives. And God is not really involved. Or, uh, basically, you know, there is no God. Or, God is there, and he sort of set things in motion, but he's sort of watching us from a distance. And the first one is sort of an atheistic view, you know, there is no God who is involved. The second one is a, what's called a deistic uh, approach. Um, God is there, but he's just watching us from a distance. He's not involved in everyday life. And many Christians live like that. Many Christians effectively live like atheists. As though the only influence in their life is their own decisions and decisions of the people around them. As though God is not involved at all. But can you see that if you can live everywhere as though God sent you there, you're going to live differently. You're going to be much less of a victim of your circumstances. You're going to have much more of a robust faith and a robust approach to life that can take the knocks of life because you know you're not doing it just for yourself. You're not just a victim of your own decisions or your own circumstances or other people's decisions or uh, the circumstances around you. God is actually involved in this. Wouldn't that be encouraging? Knowing that God is actually involved in every situation that you find yourself in? I think that's encouraging. I find it very encouraging. And one of the clearest pictures of God's involvement in our everyday life is the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Now I'm sure when Joseph's brothers threw him in the pit and when, when, he, when he ended up being sent innocently to prison, it didn't seem like God was involved in his life. It didn't seem, because I mean we know the end of the story, so we actually cheat. We know the end of the story and we read that back into the story. Joseph didn't know the end of the story. Okay? Joseph didn't know the end of the story. So I'm sure he wondered, you know, is God really involved in my life? Where is God? Has God forsaken me? You know, am I just a victim of circumstances and of other people's meanness and bad decisions? Is that where where I'm at? And to some extent he was, but to a great extent actually he wasn't. God was still perfectly involved in his life. So like Joseph, we need to learn to live everywhere as though God sent us there. I'm just going to read a a few verses from Genesis chapter 45. Um, And this is after most of... Or a lot of the events in Joseph's life happened. You know, he went through that whole process, and he's now ruler of Egypt. And the dreams that he got in the beginning of his brothers, their chiefs, and you know, the sun, moon, and eleven stars bowing down to him, those dreams are now, are now coming true, are being now, are now being fulfilled. Um, but listen, and, and his brothers are actually right here in front of him. It's, it's, it's as he reveals himself to his brothers, Genesis forty-five. From verse 1 it says, Then Joseph could, uh, uh, could no longer control himself before his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to, close to me. When they had done so, he said, 
I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by, by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household will all become, uh, and all who belong to you will become destitute. Wow. Quite a challenging portion of scripture. And Joseph, when his brothers threw him in the pit. Now, now, let me just sort of think backwards, okay? If he says, and he says it three times between verse 4 and verse 8. Three times he says, God sent me ahead of you. God sent me here. You didn't send me, God sent me. You did this to me. You sinned against me. You threw me in a pit. You sold me as a slave. You sold me here to slave. Ah, it's, it's me, Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. But even though you sold me, God sent me. Even though you sold me, God sent me. He says that three times. He doesn't want us to miss the point that it was God who sent him. Now, if God sent him, maybe he's in the palace now. He's ruler of all of Egypt. If God sent him to the palace to be ruler of all of Egypt, then it means that God sent him every step of the way. Now, uh, Trevor's going to be very proud of me now. There are four, four words that you can use to remember the, the stages in Joseph's life. They all begin with a P. A pit, pot of his house, prison, palace. Okay? Pit, pot of his house, prison, palace. Now it means that if... God sent him to where he is now, then God sent him every stage of the way, every step of the way. In other words, God sent him to the pit. Okay? Now, here's the problem. I mean, Joseph has these dreams about, you know, they, 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 they are harvesting, and then his chief rises up, and the other, his brother's chief bow down, and then he has the next day, he has the, the, the dream about the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing down, and, and his, his brothers are angry with him. Even his dad is upset with him and annoyed with him. You know, are, are your mother and I and your brothers going to bow down to you? And his dad had given him this multicolor, you know, this fancy coat, you know, and his dad loved him more. It says so in the text. His dad loved him more than his other brothers. You know? So his brothers were really annoyed. They hated him. They, had, they, 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 they didn't have a kind word to speak to him, it says. Um, and a lot of it's not his fault. I mean, it's not his fault that his dad loved him more. And the problem wasn't that his dad loved him too much. The problem was that his dad loved his brothers too little. Right? His dad should have loved 
his brothers as much as he loved him, as he loved Joseph. Okay? Um, so they, they, God actually used their hatred. They wanted to kill him initially. And then Reuben says, no, 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 hang on, guys. Let's not shed blood. You know, just throw him into this dry pit here. You know? So God was the one who then sent, and Reuben wanted to let him free. But Reuben went away for some other reason. And surprise, surprise, in that time while Reuben is away, God seems to send some Ishmaelites, some slave traders, who are going to Egypt. Well, you must say God sent them, right? If God used them to get Joseph to Egypt, then God must have sent the slave traders. Is this freaking you out yet? <laughs> um, so God got him into the pit. God got him from the pit to Potiphar's house. He got sold First to the, to the Ishmaelites and, and, and slave traders and then to Potiphar in Egypt as a slave, as a household slave. And, and what freaks me out is God used his brother's hatred of him and their greed for money. And the Ishmaelites, the slave traders, greed for money to get them to get Joseph to Egypt, to Potiphar's house. And then he's in Potiphar's house. He's working hard. God's with him. He's He's blessed, he's prospering, everything that he touches turns to gold because God is with him. He gets appointed head of Potiphar's household. And uh, Potiphar's wife starts checking him out. Now he's a 17 year old, he's probably by that time about 18, 19 years old maybe. He's a fine young man, he's looking good, you know. And, uh, you know, this lady checks him out and she takes a liking in him. You know, and, and every now and again she pesters him, come and lie with me. You know, because the husband's you know, busy government official, you know, he's away from home a lot. She's, she's looking for some action. Now come and lie with me. <laughs> and every time he's just, no, 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 he's trying to avoid her. Eventually, you know, she, she really gets you know, forceful and she, she, she you know, gets him into a room and she grabs him by the cloak and, and he just says, no, I can't do this. You know, I, I can't sin against my God. Can you see how he's living everywhere as though God sent him there? I cannot do this and sin against my God. And he pulls away and she rips off his cloak. And as he runs out, she screams. And she gets him in trouble. And for doing the right thing, you know, he gets lied about and thrown into prison. So God used Potiphar's wife and her lies and deceit to get him into prison. And then, the cupbearer and the baker, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker, end up in prison with him. And, and just by the way, again, you know, he's serving in prison, and he's blessed. God is with him. And he serves so well that the, the jailer appoints him, you know, head over the whole prison, and he runs the whole show. <laughs> Here you have a prisoner in prison running the whole prison. And now God sends these, there's the cupbearer and the baker in, and they... They have these dreams. We know the story. They have these dreams. And he interprets the dreams for them. The one has a good interpretation. You're going to, after three days, be reinstated. The other one has a bad outcome. After three days, you're going to lose your head. And in three days, it's, pot, it's, it's Pharaoh's birthday. And it happens exactly like Joseph predicted. Exactly. And then he says to the cupbearer, remember me when you're reinstated. And the guy forgets. For two years. <laughs> But who do you think sent the cupbearer to prison to go and meet Joseph and experience his gift? God must have sent him. 
God must have sent the cupbearer. And then after two years, when Pharaoh also has a similar dream, all of a sudden the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, there's this Hebrew slave in prison. He interprets dreams. And he tells Pharaoh about him. And, he, and he gets, Joseph gets called, he interprets the dream, and he gets appointed second in command in the, in the whole of Egypt. Second in command in the whole of Egypt. Now, here's the thing that I wonder about. Joseph, well, two things that I wonder about. Firstly, Joseph, every step of the way, injustice was perpetrated against him. Why? Why? Why, if God is in control, was there such injustice perpetrated against Joseph? Secondly, when did Joseph realize what he said here? Because I, I don't think he, he, when he was in the pit, or even when he was in prison necessarily, that he was saying to himself, oh, God is sending me here. <laughs> you know? I, I, I don't know, because I mean, what he says there is, you know, he's got this quite a stunning theological revelation that, yes, all these things were done by me, done to me. You guys... My brothers who were supposed to love me and protect me, you, you did all these things to me, but yet it was God sending me. I mean, that's a deep revelation. My question is, when did he get it? I'm not sure he got it while he was in the pit. I don't think so. I doubt it strongly. I don't think he necessarily had it in part of his house or even in prison. I think possibly he only really got the revelation when he ended up in the palace and the dreams that he had right in the beginning started to be fulfilled. Then he realized, ah, this was all part of God's plan. And God is fulfilling his plans. And yet, here's the thing. Yet, every step of the way, from the pit to Potiphar's house, to the prison, to the palace, Joseph was living everywhere as though God sent him there, even before he had the revelation. Can you see that? So I don't care whether you believe this or not. I don't care whether you believe God is in control or not. I don't care whether you believe God sent you here or not. Like Joseph, even before you discover that truth, you can live everywhere as though God sent you there. Now, why did God send him? He says it in, in verse 6 and 7. He says, to, to save... He sent for salvation, to bring about a mighty deliverance. God sent me ahead of you to deliver or to, to preserve for you a remnant and survivors. And to deliver you. Because, I mean, you would have starved to death if I were not sent. Says, you know, for two years, I mean, the, the famine is still clo closer to its beginning than its end. For two years, there's been famine. And for the next five years... I mean, it's, going to, it's just going to get worse. Maybe in the first two years, there was still plowing and, and, and sowing, you know, and guys maybe reaped a little bit, although, you know, there was very little water, so they probably didn't reap much. But he says, from now on, for the next five years, you know, people aren't even going to bother plowing and sowing and reaping. There's going to be nothing. And only those who are connected to God's plan through me are going to survive. In other words, what... Joseph discovered, and here's, here's the thing, here's the thing that's, that's really freaky. Here's the thing that's really freaky. What Joseph discovered is that God sent him through his brothers selling him as a slave in order to save the ones who sold him as a slave. 
God sent Joseph by the hand of unjust and unloving brothers in order to save those unjust and unloving brothers who didn't have his best interest at heart, who didn't love him, who did the very opposite that brothers, older brothers were supposed to do. God sent Joseph to save those very brothers. God will often send you into situations to save the very people who make those situations difficult for you. Can you see that? I mean, what, what, what challenged me of, of, of this story of Joseph is it, it just strips me of all my right to self-pity. Right? I like feeling sorry for myself. I like, I like sulking and moping when I'm in difficult circumstances because they really are difficult. But then I read the story of Joseph and I'm like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> I can't complain. It's like that old Indian proverb. I complained that I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. <laughs> That's how I feel when I read Joseph. It's like, I mean, what do I have to complain about? You know, anything in my life whatsoever. All of us, right? I mean, who of us have been sold as slaves? Who of us have been mistreated the way that Joseph has by our own families to that extent? But that's not all. God didn't just send Joseph to save his family, the family who rejected him and mistreated him. Why did, why was Joseph mistreated by his brothers, by the slave traders, by Potiphar's wife, by the cupbearer who forgot him? Why was Joseph mistreated by all of those people? Character, yes. So may I say that Joseph was not only sent to save his family, he was not only sent for his family's salvation. Joseph was sent for his own salvation. Every time injustice was perpetrated against him by his brothers, by Potiphar's wife, by the cupbearer, by the slave traders, Joseph had to forgive. And he did forgive. I mean, when he was second in command, I mean, he says, God has made me father over Pharaoh. You know? Ruler of his entire house, uh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all of Egypt. He could have taken revenge on anyone he wanted to. He could have gotten back, like seriously back, at all of them. He could have had part of his wife called up and said, <coughs> Come here. <laughs> Let's chat. But there's no indication in the text that he did any of that, that he took any kind of vengeance. He forgave. And every time he practiced forgiving the slave traders, forgiving part of his wife, forgiving the cupbearer who forgot him for two years, for crying out loud, after he gave him, you know, he just served him, he was practicing to forgive his brothers who had sold him as slaves and betrayed him. You see, the the difficult circumstances that God sends us into is not only to save others, is also to save us. You need those difficult circumstances. Joseph needed those difficult circumstances. We like to complain about the difficulties that we find ourselves in. But we've got to learn, like Joseph, that God actually knows what's best for us. He knows better. 
He knows what's best for us. And what's more is he wants what's best for us. Now, when, when you're a kid, you think you know what's best for you. You think that fizzer. In fact, that whole pack of fizzers. <laughs> that would be what's best for me. <laughs> not eating, eating food is, is, is not what's best for me. Eating sweets, that's what's best for me. Junk food, yes. Veggies, no. You see, we think we know what's best for us. Spiritually, we like children. And we don't want our veggies. And the difficult circumstances that God places us in, that's, those are our veggies. And as time goes on, we start learning that, yes, you know what God wants for me and what God has chosen for me is actually what's best for me. Even though it includes a pit. Even though it includes being betrayed in Potiphar's house. Even though it, be, it includes a prison sentence unjustly given. In other words, it was not just because the story ended in the palace that it was best for Joseph. The whole process was what was best for Joseph. Joseph didn't know it in the beginning. But now he saw it in chapter 45. He understood it. God had made him the man he intended him to be to fulfill his purposes. All of what he went through was necessary for him to become the man that God intended him to be. Now you might say, but Henny, you don't know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. You also don't know what I've been through. But can we like Joseph? I mean, Joseph is quite an extreme example, being sold into slavery, being mistreated like he was over such a long period of time. He was, remember, he was about 17 years old when it happened. It wasn't like this seriously mature believer. Can we trust God that he actually knows what's best for us and that he's going to take care of us? And that not only taking care of us, not only is he going to get us through the circumstances, but he's going to use the circumstances for our benefit and for the benefit of the people around us. Can we trust God that much? And then it uh, talks about the grace of God sending. God gives God gives us grace. I just want to read from verse 8 again. Then, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, your son Joseph says, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down, don't delay. In other words, what Joseph was saying was, Ultimately, God fulfilled his purposes in that he made me, I mean, that word father of, of, of Pharaoh, father to Pharaoh, I mean, that's very unusual. In other words, it's like he made me such a trusted and respected advisor that Pharaoh doesn't make decisions without consulting me. He made me lord of his household. I mean, if, if Pharaoh could hear him, Pharaoh's household could hear him weeping, I mean, it means he probably lives right next door to Pharaoh. And he was Pharaoh's, not only the, the ruler of his country, but the ruler of his household. He was lord of his entire household. He managed his whole estate. That's how much Pharaoh trusted him. That's the doors that were opened to him. And then he was made ruler over all of Egypt. All to fulfill God's plan of salvation. For him, for his family, for the whole of Egypt, and for many of the Canaanites living in that area who had nothing, who would have starved to death if it were not for what God had done through Joseph.
You know, we read the story of Joseph. And Joseph is sort of the protagonist. He's the hero of the story. You know, he's, the camera is on him, if I can put it that way. And we identify with Joseph. And, and even though to some extent we are like Joseph, the reality is we're actually more like his brothers. The real people in the story we should identify with are Joseph's brothers. And, and here's a little clue in, in the passage we read. Remember it said that it was to preserve for you a remnant and to preserve lives, you know, that there'll be survivors through a great deliverance. Remember that? A remnant. You remember that word remnant? You know that that word appears all throughout the Old Testament? God always preserves for himself a remnant. And that remnant is often referred to as the righteous remnant. When everyone else is turning away from the Lord, the remnant remains. Whenever everyone else is being unfaithful to the Lord, God preserves for himself a remnant. We all know the story about um, Elijah complaining, Lord, I alone remain. And God says, no, I've preserved for myself 7,000 others like you. you know? I preserved the remnant. Many places in the Old Testament says God is going to preserve for himself a remnant. And that remnant is not only those who righteously continue to serve the Lord, but the remnant more than that. I mean, the whole story of the Bible, especially in Genesis, is, I mean, you have all these bad family lines, you know, of Cain and so on. Things go wrong, and they reject the Lord, and the family line of Seth keeps holding, you know, keeps on worshiping the Lord. They keep the knowledge of the Lord, and then all of a sudden, in Genesis 11, you hit a brick wall where Abraham and his family, the descendants of Seth, are also now moon worshippers. And even the good family line is lost. And God has to go and call Abraham and says, come, come out from over the Chaldeans. Come out of your father's house. And, 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 it's this const- and, and then he says, not only will I bless you, but I'll make you a blessing. Through your seed... All the families of the earth will be blessed. You are my plan of salvation. And that seed goes back to Genesis 3, which says the seed of the woman will step on the head of the serpent. And that seed goes through the line of Judah. At the end of Genesis, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs. And then through the line of David, who is from the tribe of Judah, God says, I will raise up one of your descendants who will sit on the throne forever. And then eventually, that is fulfilled through Jesus. Remember when, when Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by the devil? What does that remind you of? The 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Doesn't it remind you of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years? Because the, the spies got sent into the promised land for 40 days, came back, and, and the people accepted the bad report rather than the good report. They didn't believe the promises of God. And God said, one year for every day. Forty years in the wilderness. And now Jesus comes and in the New Testament he plays out this role. Forty days in the desert. And where Israel failed and was unfaithful to God, Jesus is faithful. What, what are the gospel writers telling us? They're telling us that Jesus is the remnant of one. He's the ultimate remnant. He's the ultimate faithful Israelite. 
And just like Joseph, he was sent ahead of us by God through our sins to save us from our sins. This time the problem was not food, but forgiveness. The need was not food, but forgiveness. Jesus is the remnant of one. Jesus is the ultimate Joseph. Jesus is the ultimate guy who suffered on our behalf and because of our sins to save us from our sins. And if you want to be part of the remnant of God, you must be part of this remnant of one, Jesus, the one to whom Joseph's life points. So, you know, it's all good and well to say, oh, I must be like Joseph. I must also serve God. But I must more than that realize I cannot serve God like Joseph did. Like Joseph did. Unless I realize that there's someone who did for me what Joseph did for his brothers. Jesus is my Joseph. Jesus is the one who was sent by God to save me. save me and that is what gives us the power to live everywhere as though God sent us there only if we do it in Jesus can we really do it only if we, if we follow the ultimate Joseph and we believe in the ultimate Joseph Jesus Christ can we do this do you believe there was one who suffered for you he was sold for 30 pieces of silver just like Joseph was sold. He suffered innocently, just like Joseph did, but a lot more. He was not only sent to prison, but he was sent into death, into the grave. But ultimately, he ascended to the throne and is now sitting on the right hand of the Father, ruling in a way that provides forgiveness. Not just food, but forgiveness for you and I. The very one, ones whose sins caused him to suffer. The ultimate Joseph. The remnant of one. Do you believe in him? Only if you believe in him can you live everywhere as though God sent you there.